Okay, so welcome to the Shoot the Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VJR Nathan. And with us today is co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Welcome. How you doing, VJ? I see you a little bit out of breath. Uh, yeah. We were, we were running a little bit behind, which, which, which happens sometimes, right? Yeah. Uh, with, with some traffic and that sort of thing. Um, inclement weather as well. Yeah. But, it's uh, a rainy day out there. Rainy day, but, but we're here. Yeah. Yeah. So we have special guest, Nia. Are you Very on the phone? Special. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, good, good. All right, good, good. Um, Hi, Nia. How are you doing? Where, where are you located Hi. now? Where are you coming are from? You? Where, where are you calling from? I'm from Los Angeles. Ah, yes. Sunny LA. Yeah. Nice. I know. It's a beautiful day. <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. Nice. I mean, it's like 60 here, but, but, but rainy. And then it'll go back to, to frozen temperatures. But, um, oh, nice. You doing some uh, uh, some work out there, just uh, fam, or, or what's uh, bringing you to L.A. at current? Yeah, family's out here. And also, like, I've never been on the West Coast for a significant amount of time. Mm. And so I'm just like, there's so many hidden treasures. I, I want to explore and find them. Indeed. Yeah. Outdoor hidden treasures. Um, what's, what's a recent treasure you've, you've un, unlocked out there? Honestly, probably waking up to, uh, a beautiful sky oh, <laughs> every <yeah>. morning, <laughs> but, um, also I, um, I notice how eager people are to collaborate out here, which is really, uh, really beautiful and really encouraging and, yeah, I think people get the perception that it's a very dog-eat-dog situation. I mean, it can be. It can be anywhere. But um, I'm really encouraged by people's, like, welcoming of new artistry. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Yeah. So I just want to give a quick uh, bio for you, for the audience to listen to. Uh, Nick Holloway is a multidisciplinary artist and mystic who traverses the world of theater, poetry, music, dance, and healing arts. The combination of written word and explorative movement, she aims to create spaces of healing and introspection for audience, driven by the desire to relate time, um, the natural world, the supernatural world, and the cosmos to our bodies. Um, Nia's art serves to heal and rearing our collective stories around female bodies, BIPOC bodies, especially black female femme bodies. Uh, so, yeah, so it's interesting when you think about, um, you know, bodies and the natural world, the supernatural world, and kind of the mystical arts in general, um, relating these things together. I think uh, the luminous body kind of comes to mind, the energetic body comes to mind. What are your thoughts on the energetic cool. body and the energies that kind of connect us, I guess, is what I'm getting from that, the energetic, uh, the subtle energies and the very subtle energies. Right. Well, when it comes to the energetic body, I feel like I'm constantly reminded of how powerful it is, even when it comes to feeling my emotions 100% fully. Um, because I feel like our energetic body and the vibrations around our bodies are really affected by our emotions. And I've just noticed that with the way that I've, I guess, moved about the world in the last few months and also just coming to this new place, how my body is affected by new energies I'm meeting or um, 
you know, the disruption of routine, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I understand you started out uh, as a dancer. So that's something also that kind of exploring the movement of the body and the kind of following the, the impulses and the, and the music. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience as a dancer and how that relates to your overall uh, uh, philosophy or vision. For sure. Well, yeah, that's that's a great question because I do feel like uh, dance is a beautiful manifestation of um, the energies, whether they be emotional or, I guess, just mental energies in our bodies. Um, my journey as a dancer uh, is pretty, I guess, unorthodox. Um, I didn't, like, begin when I was three or, like, when I was super young. I actually, I've been wanting to dance my whole life. And certain, um, at certain ages, I was always like, oh, I should have started when I was three years old. I should have started when I was 14. I should have started when I was 21. And so finally, when I was like 25, I think, I just began to rent out dance space for myself um, at uh, Gibney Studios in uh, Manhattan. And I just began to explore and I was like really interested in what my body wanted to say rather than um, how to make a beautiful shape because uh, studying theater, of course, we're exposed to like, you know, jazz and ballet and this and that with dancing. But this was like a way I could really take ownership over my dancing and also my self-expression. And then I applied for, um, a dance program in Berlin, Germany, and I got in that year. And it was just my exploration was like catapulted to a new level because, you know, it's Berlin. Like <laughs> they're all about experimentation and um, the weirder you can get, the better. And so that was really liberating. Yeah, yeah. And also kind of like um, thinking about like the weirder the better. It's like, like the courage to kind of overcome those um, you know, blockages, normal blockages, and kind of be able to free oneself, and you know the, what that brings with it. You know, so in other words, like I, I just am curious about the expression of the weirder the better. It's like you know, like uh, <laughs> and how that maybe that means just overcoming the fear of like how you're perceived. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I get the sense that um, like the stakes are just not so high over in Berlin like I saw several one-person shows and some of them amazed me and other ones like really turned me off and I was just like but there's an audience like there's full audiences for all of these shows you know and so people really just value the process and the the art of experimentation and so it was it was interesting how like they don't really care about your art being a commodity in the same way that um, we do in the U S and I got the sense that so many artists there could really just explore just about any topic right. uh, from their own lens without the pressure of needing it to be marketable. What would be an example of, of maybe one of these weird um, performances <laughs> What what elements oh, I guess that, well, that that they're that they're employing? <laughs> yeah. Oh Lord! Well, I'm not going to say this person's name uh -huh. in case they ever listen. Hey, I mean, but, uh, you know, it it was 
it was um it was autobiographical um as they always tend to be um it was autobiographical and by the end of the show i think that he might have gotten naked but also put on like this really long like braided ponytail wig and then danced to ariana grande's breathing <laughs> And this right. is like, this is, you know, a middle-aged man mm-hmm. and, you know, just really living his most, most authentic life. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I can't remember the content of it, really. I think it, it was definitely a very queer show and um, very, like, uh, very political in that way, which right. I can appreciate and which I did appreciate. And um, I guess, yeah, not, not, but the, mm-hmm. sorry. <laughs> the execution was just not, is not my thing at all. <laughs> but you know, I, I'm glad I got to witness that either way. Right, right. But totally. But any of those elements taken on their own would be very okay. It's just like the absurdity of 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 putting some of those things together in the same kind of cocktail, and and like yeah, that sure. to me, I guess what makes it weird. But but weird to me, you know, I I I like the word weird for sure. Uh, as a positive rather than a negative, um, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and, and that has to do with overcoming like inhibitions <laughs> of fears, as I was saying. Like being one of the ways in which you, uh, one of the questions is about what do you consider essential truth you believe that's undervalued in our society. I definitely think like the courage to name our fears mm. is something that's undervalued. You know, it's like people like to think of it as, uh, you know, like um, you know, just being able to being able to just to name. Well, oh, this is something that really confronts me and rather than being general intellectual about it, you know, being intellectual about fears rather than visceral, the visual experience can be different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, Absolutely. speaking of fears, I mean, I don't know you, you recently, it seems like you did, uh, like you said, um, a couple travel, travel destinations back to back. Was that tied to, to anything? I guess it was coming out of, you know, post, or, or in the midst of pandemic, coming out of pandemic, yeah. um, what was the impulse for uh, the from place to place that you were that you were going? Oh Lord, yeah. Well, I I stayed at home in Houston, Texas, for like I guess a year and a half's worth of the pandemic, and I was just itching to leave. Yeah. And part of me. I first moved back to New York, actually, and then I was like, this doesn't feel right. <laughs> and so I just decided to travel because I'd saved up a lot of money. And um, I was like, it's time to go to Greece, <laughs> <laughs> as one says at the end of the summer. But yeah, I was just like, I have a couple friends out there, and I just decided to go. And then from there, um, it just became like a several city tour in Europe and I'd already committed to doing a Berlin poetry festival like in October and I didn't even know how I was going to like get there. I was just like, yeah, I'll be there. <laughs> and so I just filled the gap between September and October with traveling or meeting up with people, seeing friends. And it was really interesting to observe um, like, Like, I'm so thankful I got to explore all of that, but it's so interesting to observe how much I wanted to share that with 
more people, like the times when it was super solo. Mm. And also interesting to observe, like, what am I chasing, <laughs> you know? And I always felt like the next city would be, like, the place where I'd find something. And, of course, I found beautiful, life-expanding things, but I also... I know that sometimes what I'm looking for is usually like in my journal when I give myself time to write or um, when I have a phone call with a friend or a family member. However, uh, traveling was really expansive. And then um, December through January, I was in Colombia um, oh, yeah. for an artist residency. And that was a, uh, such a big culture shock in the best way. And I feel like ah, it's just another energy to be on the Southern hemisphere and to be in a country that really like yearns to live life to the fullest and has a history of violence from the government and just to witness the beauty and the passion and the intentionality and the day to day. It, it's really a blessing to be exposed to that. That what what discipline was that residency in? So I'm a multidisciplinary artist, and mm -hmm. so I went there, literally just doing anything and everything I wanted. And there was a music studio there. There was like a movement space of sorts. But I also was privileged enough to perform in a couple of festivals like local uh, nearby town festivals as a dancer. And uh, but primarily, like, they have a lot of resources for visual artists. Um, and the music studio and the movement studio, those are, like, newer things for them. And I was just able to take advantage of that and, you know, be on a beautiful mountainous farm and yes. <laughs> get to spend time with, sweet dogs and really nice people and the most beautiful sunsets I'd ever seen. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also you showed an interest in astrology and I'm wondering mm -hmm. if as you move around, if you follow your progress chart and how being in the Southern hemisphere affects your, you know, being in different areas sure. of the world affects your progress chart. So I'm curious how, if you follow that and, uh, mm. to what extent do you believe in, uh, like, <laughs> Being in certain, like being, if you were in the southern hemisphere as opposed to the northern hemisphere, if that that suddenly changes your yeah, and yeah, even yeah. east coast, west coast, yeah, exactly, well. exactly, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you for this question because <laughs> I forget to tell people that the reason I went to Colombia was because of astrology, mm. and um, I actually follow astrocartography, and I was looking at my whole astrocartography. It's basically like how your natal chart looks on the map of the world. And my sun line, um, kind of like your sun sign, but your sun line is like your identity line. It's where, you, um, it's where you grow into yourself. It's also where you can set up shop for your career. It's where some might achieve fame of sorts. And so my sun line goes straight through New York and that makes so much sense because I love New York. It feels like home, but it also goes straight through Bogota, Colombia. And so when I found that out, I was like, that's interesting. I should look up an artist residency to see if like yeah. there's something there I need to discover. 
And that's how I found this artist residency. It's not in Bogota, but it's um, the closest artist residency to Bogota <laughs> that there is. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to see what's there. And I also got to explore Bogota for all of January. And it's just like, it's, it's wild to just feel so inspired and at home in a new place, like immediately and have so much more exploring to do at the same time. But um, as far as progressed astrology goes, I don't follow it as much. I just know what my progressed moon is and I'm looking to get more into that. It's like knowing that I don't understand it. I just want to get to a place where I like can understand it and analyze it for myself. Right. Yeah. So, so cause you were saying, I mean, New York, you know, the city that never sleeps, but we, we seem to be hitting the snooze button um, perpetually until it gets <laughs> fully up and running. Um, that did you find, uh, I guess, yeah, there's been a mood mood shift between these spots and then you said even, I guess, between um, uh, East Coast, West Coast um, as as well. Do you, do you find that uh, you were talking right at the start about different energies and, and that sort of thing? Um in you, you feel in in like a better state uh, in in these spots. Uh, you mean in California yeah. versus New York? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, like, obviously the winter dips everybody down in New York right. unless you're just different, <laughs> unless you're just built differently, but um. It's wild. Like it can be like winter and dreary, but my people are there in New York and it's a very people centric place. Although like it's been hard in the last few years to even cultivate community like we used to, but like that's the thing about New York. Like the people make New York what it is. Mm -hmm. And with LA, California, I don't have my people just yet. And so I am feeling the repercussions of like, you know, making a big decision by myself and feeling some of the loneliness and that and having to sit with it and Mm. noticing whatever quick fix or distraction that I might reach for, you know? And so it's, it's wild because like I'm so inspired by the visual beauty here and the proximity to the beaches and just like the fact that you have every resource possible out here. Right. But I also miss New York. Yeah. I miss me. I miss my people. I miss, (laughs) I miss just like a quick Uber ride or like even like a 10 minute walk to somebody's place. It is a two stop subway ride. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. It's different. Right. But you know, you you can be comforted, I guess, in 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 the West with with nature, and and that that can that can aid in the loneliness uh, at times with with these sunsets and mm-hmm. the uh, and those gardens in your back pocket, and then yeah, you know, mostly mm-hmm. most people end up moving from from here out to there to to then do to do the work, um, yeah. and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. So I do want to give some space to uh, talk a little bit about. Uh, we talked a little bit about. Uh, you talking a little bit about uh, collective stories around female bodies. You know, especially black femme bodies, and how you know that those stories. Um, 
you know, how what they are now and how you relate with them and how you're able to change the narrative or, or if, you know, how, how you kind of um, have processed that narrative and how you'll be able to reorient the narrative towards that. Yeah. Um, it always continues to be a super important topic for me. Um, and a couple years ago, I wrote and performed my first solo show. And I never thought I would do that because I always thought they were a bit self-indulgent or I was just like, how does somebody write about anything for an hour and a half? But I ended up writing a solo show centered around um, mental health and ancestry in relation to my body. It's called Home Body, a Ritual Party. And um, I, when I was a teenager, I struggled severely with anorexia, with perfectionism, with um, body dysmorphia, and it took, like, as long as it took to recover physically, it's taken even longer to recover mentally, and so um, I wrote this story about uh, how it's always been hard to find home in my body, as it has also been hard to find home in this Western world. Um, I have no relation. I mean, I have bloodline relation to Africa, but I've never been there. I don't even know what country my bloodline is from. And so having to um, navigate both of those really murky waters bore the story of uh, inviting people in to examine how they consume black women's pain um, so readily in our society and, uh, really just dissecting like the meaning of home. And I think that when it comes to black femme bodies, I feel like there, our bodies are highly politicized because we sit at several different intersections. And I personally being black female slash woman, I'm also queer and, feeling how the foundation of our country, like it was never in our interest to survive, to have us survive or even to live a comfortable life. And my art really serves to examine that because I think nature and home and all of that nurturing energy is so beautiful in this world. And I just want to know like what it would look like on the other side of it to be able to inhabit that fully in our bodies. Hmm. So, uh, I don't know, do you, do you happen to have one of, uh, a section of, of that, um, available that you could share with our audiences, just a excerpt or even a, a bit that yeah. speaks on that topic. And we, we'd love to hear on, on air if you have it prepared or, or, um, I, in proximity. I do have it. I do have it. Um, oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So this is a, so the, the play is very, um, it's heavy with poetry and mm-hmm. dance. And so a lot of my, <laughs> a lot of my dialogue to the audience are actually poems. Um, so 
Here's some of the stage directions. Nia is at the chip bowl, eating her heart out. It is fun at first. Yo. 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 Her anger ensues. She continues to eat the chips. It turns into a binge. Yo. Yo. Yo, I'm tired of eating my anger for lunch. Swallowing my rage whole until my stomach has protruded so far I cannot see where I'm going with this. My stomach gives shelter to a red poppy flower that poisons my gut and makes me so nauseous that I purge everything in my being onto the floor and call it art. Means if I spit my anger into a paper napkin to avoid making a mess, will you save it, keep it in your pocket, and later use it to shine your shoes with, to build your houses with, to wash your cars with? Wipe the well-fed mouths of your children with. Perhaps use it to wipe away the mural of our existence with. Perhaps to clean your conscience with. Perhaps to wipe your tears with and swallow it. Since Gil Scott Heron told us the revolution will not go better with Coke, maybe you'll need a Pepsi commercial to wash it down. So that's an excerpt of like <laughs> the <laughs> the one of the party scenes in this show. Because I'm... Basically, the setting is that it's a party. I'm kind of like the DJ, and I'm welcoming in the audience like their guests. Except it's a bit, it's a bit theater cruelty because I kind of just subject them to a lot of turmoil. Right. Um, but at the end, it becomes more healing and more intentional. Right. Um, yeah. I love it. Uh, I remember you. You had mentioned something about um, you had a moment where you felt comfortable enough to be big on stage. And I was kind of struck by, you know, the phrasing of that, of, of kind of, you know, how that plays into kind of body image uh, as well, more metaphorically. But to be big on stage, not consumed, not, not uh, you know, you're, you're not speaking physically, but you're speaking kind of open and, and you know, like taking these big risks. But, um, you know, how that, how that all relates, you know, what, what, what unlocked that for you being able to, uh, to open up and feel that, that comfort level in that type of space? Uh, I would say <laughs> it was a lot of, a lot of emotional dissection. Hmm. Um, there've been a lot of tears and a lot of anger towards myself and just in general along the way that I had to acknowledge and um, a lot of uh, releasing control because with anorexia, it's about needing to control when your life feels out of, out of control or your environment feels out of whack. And um, I remember I did this acting program. <clears throat> I did this acting program for like a summer in New York when I was in high school. And it was when I was in the throes of being really sick and I was just very underweight, very malnourished. And I remember this acting teacher was like, not the nicest guy, but like, you know, he's no bullshit basically. And he was just like, why are you so afraid of taking up space? Cause like my acting was kind of small back then. Yeah. And he was like yelling, like, why are you so afraid of taking up space? And part of me was like, what's his problem? <laughs> and then part of me was like, hmm, maybe I should think about this. And um, and then when I got, by the time I got to college, uh, 
in a more nourishing way. I was kind of coaxed out of my smallness by um, my favorite theater professor ever, uh, Colleen Jennings. Um, she taught me, like, she really taught me Shakespeare. And uh-huh. um, I took a voice and speech class from her, and that really unlocked almost everything. And I think it really starts in the voice. I think our ability to be, to take up space, I think it really does start in the voice. Um, right. Because that's your truth center, you know? Yeah, you can fill a room even so, without without motion sometimes, yeah, with, with that stillness yeah. and still fill. I really like that. Um, yeah, because, you know, and I, w- I was also thinking, you know, you mentioned, you know, home and finding finding what home is for you and you know, I know at least for me for a while, I felt, you know, like stage was, was the home, you know, I, it, it be, that being the safe space, you know, like, and that could be anywhere was it, whether it's a studio space or whether, you know, on stage in front of an audience. Um, but then there came a, a point where, you know, like wanting to bring, I guess that, that bigness or that, that confidence as, as well, not just in a theatrical sense, but into life. Um, so like, was there a time maybe, yeah, that, that, you know, you felt also grounded, not just in performance, um, but a, another kind of other watershed moments that, that you were able to in life? Because, you know, even just from speaking with you, I, I find you to be such a, you know, a present, uh, you know, loving person, just real present with all conversations I have, you know, whether it's on stage or not, um, where maybe those, those two kind of crossed over for you. Aw, that's so sweet. Um, uh, Yeah, you know, it's wild. I think when I was a little girl, like everything, all the confidence was there, all the stage presence, like wanting to put on little skits in my living room (laughs) and like act out Jerry Springer (laughs) episodes, like for my family, like all of that ferocity was there. And I think, obviously, you know, being humans, we we lose a lot of our true selves as we grow up, and then it's our job to find it. And I think I found that, honestly, when I, like, kind of took, I kind of, like, let acting take a back seat and began to dance, that's when I started to feel comfortable on a stage, like, for real, for real, and feel like I was actually being honest Mm. um, and wasn't watching myself perform whereas like with acting I feel like I'd, I've always watched myself act right. um, rather than just act <laughs> and dancing I do a lot of my dance practice improvised and it's so liberating because I don't have a filter and I create things that I didn't know I had in my body and I think that's when I that's when I was like, oh, this is what it means to like take up space on stage honestly. Like I'm not trying too hard and I'm not like, I'm not muting myself either. And that was a huge change for me. And yeah, I honestly think everything else from there, like any acting I did since starting to dance um, became better and more rooted in truth right? for sure. And how 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 affected are you then um, by the uh, the peanut gallery or by by um, by comments and by people 
that are taking in what you're putting out. If it is your truth, because um, you know, in the state, you know, we're we're posting uh, on TikTok or on uh, whatever social media happens to be the performance or the dance. Um, how does that affect what you're what you're putting out, or are you able to mute that, or 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 that? can fuel you or you try to ignore certain aspects of it how does that play into it yeah um <laughs> i try not to think about it too much the thing is like i i'm lucky though i don't really have like online haters right um but really like the voice in the back of my mind is like <laughs> like for some reason preoccupied with all my dancer friends who've been dancing since they were 14, like wondering how they're judging my really strange dance moves, you know? Um, Cause it's a lot of contemporary mixed with like, I call it, honestly, it feels like, you know how there's a kitchen sink cookie. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like it's like kitchen sink choreography. sometimes, right. <laughs> And, I'm totally okay with that. But uh, yeah, sometimes I wonder if like dancers and then, you know, now I'm, I'm producing more music and sharing that more. I'm also wondering what, you know, music theory students think and this and that. And I'm just kind of like, it can get really overwhelming to try and please like yeah. the need to please, but like it's, Ultimately, at the end of the day, like that's not going to get me anywhere. Like, I need to just make the stuff <laughs> right. and be my own judge. Yeah, and also I see uh, on your um, people can look at you up at niakawe dot com. You have dancing the spell, which uh, has an interesting kind of synthesis mm. of journal entries regarding kind of the various uh, elements we've been talking about with the astrology, as well as kind of overcoming fears and. Um, I was looking over before mm -hmm. and kind of the discoveries that come up, uh, up, come about from writing intentions. So if you tell a bit of your process uh, in mm -hmm. writing that in the journals and how they kind of bring together maybe some of these elements that we've been talking about. Yeah, that was a practice I developed during the pandemic um, because I was lucky to have like a park seven minute drive away from my house that wasn't too heavily populated on any given day. And I would just go out there and like film myself dancing and journal about it and set intentions and write down discoveries. And to me, that felt like spell work. It felt like ritual work. And it really felt like I was unlocking uh, some really important truths in that time of uncertainty. Um, Cause it was just like, everybody knows it just felt like groundhog day. And yeah. I was like, well, maybe I should just do something that feels good for myself. And it connects me, like keeps me rooted in my spirituality. And, um, and from that, I actually formed a collective called body spell collective, uh, on Instagram. And it was born out of my need to connect like dance movement, healing with, um, eating disorder awareness mm. and especially for queer BIPOC bodies, because I always notice like a lot of my um, 
any black friend who I have who has struggled with the same issues that I have, they also happen to be queer. And I'm very curious about that connection. And um, it's also people who are really rooted in their artistry and really desire to move their bodies and reconnect to their bodies. And so all of that, it felt like the medicine I needed and hopefully the medicine that somebody else would need um, and that my friends would need. Mm. And so, yeah, Dancing the Spell and then Body Spell Collective, they're kind of like siblings um, <laughs> of of one dream. Yeah, I really liked how in your Instagram people can look up Nick Kaway and uh, Kaway as well as uh, the Body Spell Collective. It says the magician and alchemy is invoked. I'm an alchemist. Um, so like that kind of brings together what you're saying, basically alchemy <laughs> being to kind of transform or to kind of translate these mm. kinds of perceived negative energies into maybe that's what, maybe that's kind mm. of what you're saying or you tell us, tell us a little bit about how alchemy plays into it, how transformation can be happen in these uh, spaces. Absolutely. Uh, honestly, I feel like we, our spirits, our souls, our mind, body, human selves, I feel like that's the most beautiful, abundant tool of manifestation. And I feel like embodiment of our desires, whether it be dance or just like, I don't know, <laughs> sticking to a routine that you set for yourself, like embodying your desires, embodying your future, embodying an emotion that you want to feel is a beautiful tool of manifestation. And even the written word can be an embodiment of your desires. And it's like, what kind of words do we say to ourselves? What kind of words do we write down? What kind of miniature prayers do we have for ourselves? Or prayer might not be the word, but like, what little promises do we make to ourselves? Um, what inside jokes do we have with ourselves, you know? Yeah. And I feel like, I feel like all of those little ways that we show up for ourselves, that's, to me, that's alchemy because it makes a difference in the long run. And it's totally, it's totally a way to take our power back from the external world. Um, and, uh, yeah. And it's interesting because, um, the, the term gospel comes from God's spell, um, receiving a spell, casting from God in a way. And so body spell kind of feels like a play on that, uh, but making it more personal. And I'm not suggesting like, oh, we're treating ourselves as God, even though I think that's so awesome to do. But it's it's relating to that idea that like the power is within and we are our best alchemical tool, first mm. and foremost. Yeah, I think Bruce Lee was the one also had the, the great quote about don't speak negatively about yourself, even in joke, because your body doesn't know the difference. You know, words are energy, and, oh. uh, and, and that's how they cast spells. That's why it's called spelling. I thought that was a very nice kind of dovetail to that. Ah. Uh, Bruce, all right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Bars. Bars. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. What I'd like to hear a little bit other. You have any other spiritual practices or your connection to spirituality? Um, how that might have um, 
intersected with your with your art um, at all? And I mean, out of Texas, how 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 you how you were raised, um, and maybe how it shifted over time, and and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I was not raised religious at all. Although both of my parents were raised Baptist, but my mom, <laughs> she always says. Yeah, I was baptized, but it didn't take. And so she just, like, never forced any religion onto us. Um, And even though, like, my dad's parents were super religious, my grandmother's very religious um, and has a really strong relationship with Jesus, like, I I was never made to feel like I had to subscribe to any religion which I'm so thankful for because like that's not common as a black woman like from a black family that's not common at all especially growing up in Texas and so for because of that like I'm just fascinated by any theology in the world I'm fascinated by all of it and um, a spiritual practice that I've maintained for a few years is meditation um I, at one point, I was deeply entrenched into my yoga practice and became a teacher, actually, and was really interested in the philosophy, um, more so than just the physical practice. But um, I've actually, like, and I was a bit, like, nervous to talk about this. I'm always nervous to talk about this with anyone, but um, a good practice for me involves pleasure and making sure, like, I've connected to my body by means of self-pleasure and like I've turned it into like a meditation practice where like I give pleasure to myself and then write because to me those are coming from the same place in my body, (laughs) you know, and it's nurturing, um, it's nurturing that part of my being that, wants to feel alive and felt and touched and loved. And it's also the place where like humans come from. (laughs) And I think it's also a beautiful place where my ideas come from. Like I'll do it like in the middle of the night and then suddenly have so much to write, you know? And um, that's become a beautiful spiritual practice for me. And I highly recommend it to right. anybody who is feeling stuck energetically and, you know, if it feels comfortable or nourishing for them. Yeah, no, I, I believe, yeah, creativity is is pleasure. Mm. But then, I, you know, whether it is to the point of orgasm or not, that's that's where I, I guess, yeah, um, you know, what what is it, Rocky? Mm-hmm. There, there used to be the myth that, you know, to not... To not orgasm, to not an orgasm before a boxing match or sort, because having kind of like the stored uh, chi that would then maybe weaken your legs before an athletic performance. Uh, but that had been, since been debunked. But the idea of going through, yeah, like the whole process, whether that that puts you in a state of more creativity or does it tap you or does it exhaust to a point of. And, and yeah, like finding finding that balance, but but the idea of yeah being that awakening one's body to then awaken, I I, I think that that's that's effective and that's that's pretty great. 
Yeah, I think also a lot of it has to do with your belief around it. So it has to do with like, you know, whether or not you believe this kinds of things and, and kind of connecting to that belief and connecting to that. I think Nia had said this thing, uh, the quote, which she said, whether you believe you can or can't, you are right is one of the specific um, quotes that, that inspired you. Um, so then, and then you mentioned the 48 laws of power mm-hmm. being as, as one of them. Oh yeah. About that that power was, is being, yeah. was fascinating yeah. to see that. Cause I've, I've read those before, but I wonder how yeah. that, how that, um, yeah, you found your way into that and, and what you take from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, my mom actually got me into all of Robert Greene's books and she is so wild. Like that's been part of her, like, her method of raising me is just like kind of quoting him sometimes. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, yeah. And so that's, I haven't read the entire, the entire book, um, page to page, but, um, there are a few chapters in there that I value. And I feel like it's kind of like a lifelong journey to have that book and all of the rest of his books. Um, but yeah, there would be, one of the more interesting ones, it's like always say less than necessary, or if you don't have enemies, find some. <laughs> and it's it's just it, it's so wild how it catches you off guard, and it really just makes me curious about why he feels like this is a law of power that should be obeyed, you know. And I love that he uses uh, historical anecdotes to um, prove his theories, or at least to. Um, support his theory right yeah yeah from what from what i've taken from from those is that it's applicable to business more than just interpersonal relationships Mm. at times because some of those yeah i mean it's just yeah like like just uh, you know friends close enemies closer type deal and and it just you know you want to feel comfortable with the people that you're with but some of it yeah is trying to yeah be one up the people that, that are around you for the ultimate I don't know what the financial gain it, it seemed more than I don't know mm. emotional gain um, but yeah there's a song uh, that put them into uh, all context I just recently heard too you could check it out what were you gonna say oh really <laughs> yeah yeah somebody just put oh, no, them to put them to a hip hop song but yeah. oh my god I have to please connect me with that. I I need to know that one. Um, (laughs) It's, uh, no, I I think, honestly, 48 Laws of Power, I don't think it just has to do with business or even um, career ascension of any kind. I think it really has to just do with people. I think his books are all about people Mm. all the time. And I've seen how several different kinds of his laws or several different laws of his work in a real life situation and um, just a social situation. I feel like he's offering social capital first and foremost in his books. Like he's providing a language to gain some social capital for sure. Yeah. And then, um, so now, I'm just looking through some of the answers to see um, what else is coming up. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting to think about um, empowerment and some of the, some of the themes of the show. Uh, how it's not just about kind of like power in general, but about like really empowering oneself to 
take on that mantle and overcome and do the personal journey. Like, for example, like um, back in the day, uh, people thought that when Barack Obama was elected president, that we'd re- we'd reached a post-racial state. But then, uh, um, mm. you know, I always said, I always said, it's like, you know, if, if we had a thin president, we've overcome obesity. You know, it's like, the, it's, it's, it's like saying that yeah. <laughs> it's like that obesity or like these kinds of things are personal kind of, that we have to take on the mantle of, uh, overcoming our own, um, you know, kind of understandings and, and our own struggles rather than thinking of it in terms of sociologically. Uh, so that's something that came to mind when I was in this conversation about power and about empowerment, like how that's all really a personal journey for the person to take on as, as a hero's journey to really, um, you know, kind of complete on their own, if you if you think if you think about it, because when you think about healing your life and uh, all these different kind of titles you mentioned, you can heal your life by Louisa Hay or um, these kinds of things about healing or about empowerment have to, as a personal calling, would you say? And and um, and what are your any comments on that? Uh, could you repeat the question? Yeah, real basically, quick? like how you, how you perceive like. Your own personal calling to, and how, and also specifically in regards to the question about, um, like, what what experiences do you do you feel the the listener when you as an artist, what do you hope the listener will gain from uh, your performances or from your what you're communicating to the to the people listening to your poems or viewing your art or, or the observers, like how what they can gain from it. That might be one in one way into this discussion. Um, one of the questions is about. Yeah, your audience and how what you hope they gain from it. Uh, yeah, this has actually been on my mind a lot lately because the more I move around, the more I'm like, what is my purpose? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not just to like have fun and see new things. It's I, I want to know like where I'm needed. Like that's more important to me, how I can be of service. And in terms of art, I've always wanted people to feel empowered, to feel loved, and also to feel like they have a divine burning love within them already, uh, no matter what they've been through, that that is steady and solid as a rock within them. And um, I'm realizing, like, whether it's, you know, teaching a yoga class or giving an astrology service, or X, Y, Z, or even talking on the phone with a friend, um, or, you know, running Body Spell Collective, I realize how important it is for me to give that energy, the energy of empowerment, the energy of, like, self-love, the energy of um, feeling inspired to heal oneself and to and to blossom from scorched earth. Yeah. You know, and because I've, I've personally been through that. Mm. And so I, it's just like I empathize so much when people are going through really tough shit. Um, but I also see that there's so much love in them that deserves to bloom and deserves mm. to, I guess, geyser over in a way. Yeah. Um, and it's wild because, like, astrologically speaking, like, there's a place in the in the natal chart, the 10th house, 
and that rules your career. And for me, that's in the sign of cancer, which is the most loving and nurturing, like motherly sign. And so it only makes sense that like, that's my approach to anything I do that has to do with people. Like I want them to feel love. I want them to feel empowered and like at home and like they can blossom. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. So as are my listeners, this is the Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. This is listener-supported radio, so our Ready for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote literacy, education, free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us to stay on air and allows us to continue the work in our community. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Sole contributions are tax-deductible. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbrooklyn.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper or you'd like to donate in a way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbrooklyn.org slash Amazon and register Ready for Brooklyn as your Amazon Smile charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits Ready for Brooklyn and no additional costs. Um, if you'd like to listen to Ready for Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please download our free mobile app for iPhone or Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or Google Play Store for Android. And finally, if you want to keep in, keep in touch with our um, monthly newsletter, to find out about latest news, new programming, upcoming RFP events, you can sign up at radiofrequent.org slash newsletter. Okay, so we only have a few more minutes left. So we'll give some last thoughts about uh, kind of like a last last uh, um, reflections or thoughts you want to leave listeners with and also where we can uh, follow uh, Unia or where people can find out more information about you. I, mean, I mentioned some of it in the, earlier in the show, but you can kind of reiterate. Absolutely. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Nia Calloway or at Body Spell Collective. Also, I have a website, NiaCalloway.com. And I also have a Twitter. It's Fab Calloway, F-A-B-C-A-L-L-O-W-A-Y. Um, uh, yeah, thank you so much for having me as a guest. And it's been really illuminating getting to talk about everything we talked about. Yeah, no, definitely delighted to, to speak with you as you're on opposite coast. Um, and uh, have you have you had a chance to check out the Get Lit uh, offices while you're there? See Mason at all yet? Or um... yeah, I've seen Mason. Oh, nice, wonderful, absolutely. And yeah, I've met a few of the teaching artists and uh, saw Darian Dashan. Uh huh. Yeah, he's he's so yeah. he's still out there as great well. Great vibes. Great vibes. Excellent. So they're yeah, yeah, so yeah, you're sure. you're gonna are you gonna be starting to do maybe some things with them as they get their season coming up or I mean fingers crossed. Yeah. They're they're fully staffed right now, but fingers crossed. I would love to work with them. I think they're just a beautiful a beautiful revolution in the literary education world. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how long? Well, how long will you be out in West Coast? In Determinal, we got an ellipses uh, attached to it. Does it seem? Yeah, for sure. Nice. It's very. <laughs> it's very like. Yeah, I got here and I was like, I don't really feel like running away anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Like I had been the last few months. <laughs> so I guess that's a good sign, you know. Awesome. Um, and then any? Uh, any... Are you going to be out here? Uh, in I. I was out for just right before you came for just a bit, but I don't have anything planned for a bit okay. to be out there, but I'll keep you posted. All right. Thank you cool, guys. Cool, cool. So you can find out more information about uh, the show 
and see our uh, backlog entries at power and find out more about other shows um, Radio Brooklyn is doing at, uh, you know, find a catalog of shows and stuff like that. So hope you'll, you'll listen to the next show coming up in a few minutes. And stay tuned. And thanks so much, Nia. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you, guys. All right. Have a good day. Thank All you right. both so much. Yes, Thank yes. You. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.